Welcome to this week's episode of the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. This week, we are joined by world number one golfer, Jason Day. Let's go. This episode of the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick is presented by SeatGeek, the perfect place to buy and sell tickets. Yahoo Sports presents the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick, powered by digital media. Find your voice. And now, your host, J.J. Reddick. Welcome to this week's episode of the Vertical Podcast with J.J. Reddick. I'm very excited for today's guests. One of the things that I wanted to do when I first started this podcast was not only talk to basketball players, coaches, executives, I wanted to sort of get out of the realm of basketball. And while I recognize that sort of my expertise and my core audience, of course, is rooted in the game of basketball, there's a lot of athletes that, you know, I find fascinating. There's a lot of uh, people in entertainment, uh, even in business, that I find fascinating. And, I, and the ability and, and sort of the opportunity that, that arises to talk to these people, I feel the, the need to jump on the chance. Uh, recently, we had... Aaron Rodgers on the podcast. We had Ben Winston on the podcast. We had Jensen Karp on the podcast. These were all non-basketball people. And these honestly were some of my favorite podcast episodes that we've done. And specifically Ben and Jensen, who have nothing to do with sports, but I think really offer an awesome perspective on a lot of things. If you haven't listened to those episodes, go back and listen to them. They're really awesome. (laughs) Jensen and, and Ben are two of the funniest people I know, and uh, while my humor is sort of dry, those guys are pretty awesome. As we go forward uh, with this podcast, I believe this week is the 20th episode we've done. I'm going to continue to have a base of guests that are basketball players and, and sort of rooted in the game, um, but I'm going to continue to explore having other guests on, and uh, was at an event this week in Northern California and got to meet a bunch of folks from from the business world and uh, and Rich Barton, who founded Expedia and now you know runs uh, Zillow, the real estate internet company. Uh, he approached me and and he said he wants to come on the podcast. So at some point in August or September, before the season, I'm going to try to get him on the podcast. You know, maybe we'll get a rapper on the podcast because that was a lot of fun to do. So we're going to continue to explore this. Obviously, I'll I'll have a lot of basketball guests. I'm looking forward to an upcoming episode at some point with Coach K and an upcoming episode with, I'll drop a little hint. It's one of the guys, one of the people from the podcasting world that I'm very, very excited about. Before we get to this week's guest, I want to tell you about SeatGeek. Obviously, tickets that are available are going to be very difficult for the U.S. Open. Uh, For the everyday fan, it can be a hassle getting a seat to a game, a sporting event, or a concert, especially for a good price. That's why the best place to go when you need tickets is SeatGeek. It's so easy, you'd be crazy not to try it. And it's pretty cool how they do it too. They pull all the tickets available on other sites into one place so you save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming events and they'll let you know if ticket prices fall. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is ranked based on value so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, 
you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone and I use it all the time because it's simple and it works. And best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. They show you the full ticket price from start to finish and never try to trick you with huge fees on the checkout page. Now, pay attention to this next part because it's really important. My listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. That's 20 bucks right in your pocket. And to get it, all you have to do is this. Download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo code. Then enter promo code JJ. SeatGeek will then send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. It doesn't get any easier. So go support them like they support this podcast. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code JJ today. All right, let's get to this week's guest. We are joined this week by the number one golfer in the world preparing this week to play in the 116th U.S. Open. Welcome to Jason Day. Jason, thanks for coming on the show. No problem, man. Good to be here. So you probably don't know this about me, and some of our listeners may not either, but I am a huge watch collector it's become sort of an obsession of mine. And I know that you have a partnership with Rolex. I'm extremely yeah. jealous of, by the way, but that's another story. Um, so you, you win the Open on Sunday, and someone comes over to you, and they hand you your Rolex watch, and you, know, you wear it for the trophy presentation. I've always wondered, well, first of all, what watch are you wearing? But I've always wondered, where does that watch come from? Is your wife holding it? Is your caddy holding it? Is it in your back pocket? Where does it come no, from? It might, it, it's in my bag, usually. I, I uh, have a deep sea, you know, just a deep sea with a, you know, a black bezel. And uh, that's my kind of workhorse watch, I would say, in a way. But, uh, you know, I've got, I've got, like you, I'm starting to collect watches as well you know more so you know obviously rolex watches because i I have a partnership with them but uh yeah that's usually what happens after every round i play i have have my watch in my bag and i just you know kind of i put it on and i you know before i never never wore watches before i had a partnership with rolex and you know i'm starting to collect some pretty interesting uh, watches now but uh you know it's in this game of golf it's just it's really fun you know yeah it's a little bit more different in in nba hockey football what whatnot you know endorsement deals and, and, and contract deals are a little different but you know we as golfers we have to go out and perform and and the more times you're on tv the more endorsement deals you get and um you know some of the best you know companies in the world you have the opportunity to be sponsored by some of them or have a partnership with some of the best companies in the world and for me i'm very blessed to have the companies that i have on, on you know on my shirt and um, obviously the, the watches that I wear, but, uh, yeah, I didn't, I did not know that you were a watch collector, but you know, I can, I can see how it gets very addicting to, uh, oh my watches gosh. because I'm, I'm just it's, starting now myself. It's the worst. If you need any advice, I'll let you know. Like I've gone down this, Please. this rabbit hole of vintage Rolex <laughs> and I wish someone would pull me back out because I'm stuck. It's, it's like, it's sad to admit this, but I probably think about vintage Rolex at least an hour out of the day. <laughs> really yeah how many watches yeah. do you have um so i've had as many as 19 oh, which wow. doesn't sound like maybe it doesn't sound like maybe a ton in in the watch collecting world i mean i know collectors that have like 500 watches yeah but it also um, depends on on how how much you've spent on them and and what watches sure you have. but right now i have about eight watches and and most of which are are vintage rolex so it's mm. tough I, I, i'm assuming have you you have not purchased your first vintage rolex no, not yet. No, I uh, I've looked at them before, 
but I haven't, uh, okay. you know, I, I need to. You know, I actually, I have a pretty good contact at Rolex to really say, you know, which watch, you know, Rolex vintage watch I should probably get. But, uh, yeah, I, uh, you know, just trying to, uh, I just started. I'm just starting small and, and hopefully going from there. And, and then sooner or later it starts getting bigger, as you know, you know, having 18, 19 watches at one time is, is a lot of watches. And you said, you you know, guys that have I've got a 500, but uh, it starts with one and then slowly builds from there, right? Right. So this week is, is the U.S. Open. Huge week. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you guys have four majors. I'm very curious if your level of preparation, your mental approach, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. how that differs going into a major week versus, say, the Waste Management Open. And yeah. I think in basketball, we always talk about preparation, like, you know, the way guys are in the regular season versus the playoffs. And, and there probably is a little bit of a difference. Right. No, there is a big difference. The only, the only tournament that I don't prepare the same as the other three majors is a PGA. You know, obviously we have a week before, which is a WGC usually um, in Bridgestone, and then we go to the PGA Championship. But for Augusta, for the US Open and for the Open Championship, I get there usually Thursday before Thursday to Friday before the tournament I play either you know you know yesterday I played 18 holes today I won't go out and play because I'm you know I'm, I'm a little bit under the weather right now and um, I'm going to try and rest up today but usually I would play 18 holes play nine holes practice on Saturday nine holes practice on Sunday nine holes and practice on Monday nine holes practice on Tuesday and then I would practice Wednesday and the, and the biggest thing is to really not wear yourself out you know, come, you know, Thursday because, you know, obviously you want to, you want to peak at the right time. You want your body to peak at the right time. You want to taper your training down to, so you peak at the right time with, you know, getting, you know, your body ready for that event. But also you don't want to run out of energy come Thursday and and then be gassed by Sunday and and make mental errors. So there is, there is a big change in, in the way that you prep and prepare for a major championship. Obviously, you know, the major championships, you know, like tennis is, you know, what m- most people watch, you know, and for you guys in, you know, for the playoffs is so huge that you may prepare a little bit differently from, you know, normal, regular basketball. But, you know, that's, it does differ a little bit. But, you know, for me, you know, it, in my normal off week, I practice, I start, I take, if I, if there's a week where I take off, it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I may take off. More often than not, it's just Monday, Tuesday, in those in that week, I'm still working out six days a week uh, for an hour, hour and a half, and then you know once I start practicing again Wednesday or Thursday, then I'm practicing to you know I'm six six and a half hours a day, and then another hour, hour and a half of, of training. So it's like a full time job, really. I mean, like it is. It's just when you when you get to this level, there's not too many guys you know in the top ten or at this level where you know you got to really work your butt off to to stay in the position you're at not only physically, mentally, but also technically and tactically as well. Speaking of the NBA playoffs, I know that you are an Ohio native. Your, your wife, yep. I believe, is, is from Ohio. I don't know that you guys are Cavs fans or not, but a lot of NBA yep. fans uh, know you because of an incident that happened earlier <laughs> this year. Uh, your wife was essentially tackled by LeBron. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Is she okay? I mean, what... You were next to her at the time. Like, what was going through your mind as as you yeah, saw I mean, the picture, the LeBron picture, sort of chasing yeah, down? Yeah, LeBron coming, and and you know we weren't really paying attention, and we're sitting there, and my buddy owns those seats, so I get to be able to you know go courtside seats. And you know I'm a, I'm a Cavs you know 
fan. I mean, I, I really, it was obviously disappointing to see him lose last night and go to 3-1, but, you know, I'm, I'm good friends with Delhi. I know J.R. Smith and those guys, because, I mean, most of those guys, for some reason, they, they like to hack it around the golf course. But, um, yeah, I'm sitting there, and I'm, we weren't really paying attention. But, like, I explain it this way, you know, there's, you know, and, you, you know, when you're playing in, in L.A., you've probably, I'm not sure if you've gone into the crowd before chasing a ball. Um, but sure, I, I have a few you know, times. Yeah, you, you kind of tumble yeah, into so the crowd. Yes, yeah, so there's, there's a slight chance of when you're sitting there, um, there's a slight chance of someone coming in the crowd and, and getting run over. There's exactly the same as if you walk through the gates of a golf tournament, you have a slight chance of getting hit <laughs> by my golf ball. You know what I mean? Right. So it's, I, I yeah. explain it that way. And, you know, obviously, you know, LeBron, he's just trying to do his job. You know he's trying to he's trying to hustle hard. He's trying to get out there, trying to win the you know win the game. Obviously, she got hurt, and you know she had some post concussion symptoms. But you know me and Ellie understand, and most out of it, anyone that you know he's just trying to do his job. He's just trying to get out there and and try and win the game for him. And you know it just happens. Things happen, and we didn't expect anything from him. We don't we don't expect anything from him. He texted Ellie and said, you know what, I need to give you a sponsorship certificate. And my, my wife goes. Don't worry about it. It's fine. It's just part of the game. But, you know, in the end, you know, it is what it is. And I'm hoping that uh, if he walks through the gates of the golf tournament one day, I hope I don't hit him in the head or something with a golf ball. <laughs> I don't know that your ball will hit him in the head. I mean, I feel like if I was teeing off, there would be a better chance of someone getting hit by an errant golf ball. No, um, trust me. I, uh, you know, I, I hit, <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, I hit a lot of people out there sometimes because, and, and it's, it's not like it's coming in soft either. It's three hundred yard drive right. and it's going either left <laughs> right. or right, and I'm yelling four, and they, everyone just covers their head. And you're hoping not you don't hit a little kid like I did at the farmer's insurance, um, <laughs> lo, you know, last year. You know, I hit, hit a little ten year old boy, and I just felt terrible. Um, split his head open, and uh, you know, it was just like I said, it's just it's part of the game, and you're not trying to do it. You're trying to get down the fairway, and sometimes it just happens that way. When, when something like that happens, I assume that a golfer will sort of reach out to the fan or do something for the fan, uh, maybe yeah. give them like a glove. I mean, what did you do for that 10-year-old yeah. boy when you split his head open? So I, uh, I ended up getting him a bunch of Adidas stuff. I'm with Adidas and um, I ended up getting him a bunch of like a backpack with a bunch of clothes and shoes and stuff like that inside. Because, you know, usually when you hit, a, hit an adult, not saying that, you know, it's you know, easier to hit an adult than it is to hit a kid. But usually I sign a glove and give it to an adult. But, you know, I hit this little kid right on the top of the head and he was cut open, he was bleeding. And I walked over and I hugged, hugged the little boy and I ended up making sure to get in contact. I called his dad after the round and uh, said, we've got to get him some stuff. And uh, he, ended up, uh, he ended up going to school and showing his scar to his, to his friends and he ended up getting some, some Adidas stuff out of it too. But, you know, obviously... You know, it, I, I really felt sorry for him. I was kind of shook and up by it, and it took me a couple of holes to get over it, um, really, to really kind of get, get myself going. And then on 17, it happened on 15, played 16, and then on 17, I was in the middle of fairway and then hold out for eagle on, in the middle of fairway. And then from there, that was, I was fine by that. And I just said, okay, if you want to win a tournament, you got to win the tournament now because you just hit a little kid in the head. <laughs> You're listening to The Vertical Podcast with J.J. Reddick. A great business needs a stunning website, and with Wix.com, you can do it all by yourself. Wix.com makes it easy to look amazing online, no matter what type of business you're in. Show off your images in a beautiful gallery, grow your contact list, and get all your social media in one place, just the way you want. Your customers are going to love it. 
So what are you waiting for? Show the world what you can do. Go to Wix.com and create your stunning website today. It's easy and free. You've been on an incredible run lately. I think it's seven of 17 of your last tournaments you've entered. You won. Is that correct? Yeah, it was like, well, it's uh, seven, 18 now. I, I didn't play. Okay. Yeah. Seven of 18. An opportunity. Yeah. So that's great. So, so you're number one in the world. Uh, you won your first major last year, a sort of a breakthrough moment for you personally. I read a quote from you recently um, where you said, despite all that success, uh, you said, I've never been more motivated. And I'm curious, mm-hmm. and we're, I'm going to ask you about some of your quotes from a couple years ago about, about money specifically, but, but this is a recent yeah. quote that you're saying you're more motivated than ever right now. What is the source of that motivation? Well, I'm you know, saying that I'm, I've been more motivated like now than I ever have before. I really wanted to get to number one. I really wanted to win a lot. I just really want to push myself to to see how far I can take this. You know, I I don't want to just get to number one and then go, uh, I got to number one and kind of fade off in the distance. I don't want to just get to 10 PJ Tour wins. I look at 10 PJ Tour wins and go, that's not enough. I want I want to win more. And then I look at it and go, okay, well, what did I do to get to this position? And okay, well, that was six, Five five hours, five to six hours a day of practice, workouts. Um, I need to work harder. If I if I up my workload, then I can practice. You know, obviously an hour more or whatever it is, and then hopefully if I practice that hour more, sooner or later it'll pay off. You can't. It's the delayed gratification that you get in golf that is the best. Because from now, if I practice today. I believe in three weeks' time that practice will pay off in three weeks' time. So as long as I'm, I'm, I'm investing in my future with the work that I do, as long as I work, if, if I work hard, that's an investment in my future to play better golf, to win more tournaments, to extend, try and extend that lead in the world ranking, to stay on top of the world, to really separate myself and, and become more of a dominant player in the game that I want to try and do. I want to be able to, you know, look back, you know, look back at Tiger Woods back in 2000, 2001, when he was really dominating is every time he stood up on the, you know, on the tee, you know, the first tee at a tournament by the end of uh, Sunday, he was either around the lead or in contention. That's really what I'm trying to strive for. to really get myself and being able to be in contention every single week and knowing that, okay, Jason Day, in it again to win this event, you know, and that's what I'm trying to strive for. I mean, will it happen? I don't know. I just got to, I got to get the process right. I got to keep working hard and, and see where it takes me. But like I said before, you know, you get to a certain, certain point in your career. Yeah. I mean, I've accomplished some good things in my life already, but I want to accomplish more and I want to, I want to be able to look back on my life and realize, okay, I've started an 18 year old kid when I turned professional. I'm now however old but I look how far I've come you know talking about money look how much I've earned and you know it's kind of right. like you know you're just checking the boxes so a lot of that motivation then comes from sort of a, a constant pursuit of greatness and, and it sounds yes. like you're as you've gotten older you're becoming more and more aware of sort of your legacy as a golfer and where that fits into the history of golf so I'm curious given your contemporaries uh, and some of your great contemporaries, how much are you motivated or how much are, how, what is the competitive side sort of when you watch guys like Jordan Spieth and Rory McIlroy? Well, I mean, it's, it's great. And like, I mean, we both, we all motivate each other, which is fantastic. 
you know, I, I you know, a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago actually, before the Byron Nelson started, Jordan Spieth said it bothered him to see me play, you know, well and be up top of the, you know, the world ranking. <laughs> so it should, it should bother you. You know what yeah. I mean? It should bother you because if you want to be there, it should bother you. If you want to be in, on top of the world, it should. I mean, that's just the way it is, and you know. It, like it, like it would bother me if Rory or, or you know Jordan or anyone else was on top of the top of the world. It has to because that you got to use that as motivation. You got to use that as your burning desire to get better and and play better golf and practice harder. Because you know I see Jordan and Rory play well, and that makes me want to play well. It makes me want to work harder and try and extend that lead. And then. You know, I extend that lead, and then it happens to them. And they, so I, I played well with the players, and then Jordan wins Colonial, and then the week prior, uh, Rory wins the Irish Open. So it just, it kind of, it, we all feed off each other. And the good thing about golf now these days is that the young kids and guys like us, I think, I think we're very approachable in a way that you know, most of these guys, I mean, they're all, they're all down to earth. They're very easy to talk to, and it's very easy to rural barrack for your favorite guy because you know they're just so it's so fun to watch golf right now because of it it, it definitely is and, and obviously uh, it sounds like as you guys progress in your careers because you're all relatively sort of uh in the prime of your careers that you're going to continue to sort of uh, elevate each other's play just through the natural competitiveness that happens. I want to go back one second to sort of uh, the motivational thing. And I mentioned the Mm -hmm. money part. And there was a couple quotes from you a couple years ago. And I I didn't know this about you until I read these quotes. One of the quotes said, you know, I'm going to be honest here. I came from a very poor family. So it wasn't winning that was on my mind when I first came out on the PGA Tour. Mm -hmm. It was money. Mm-hmm. Another quote said, I, I wanted to play for money because I'd never had it before. And I don't know that, yeah. that maybe all sports fans can resonate with those quotes. And, and some sports fans may even cringe a little bit. I actually, I love those quotes because they're the truth and they're honest. Yeah. Uh, but I think in your case, they're even more true. And can you kind of place those quotes in your own personal context, given your background? Yeah, I mean, looking back, a little bit of memories, I guess you would say, is that you know you know a thrift store you know you go there and it's like secondhand clothes. Well, we yeah. call those back home in St. Vincent de Paul. So, I mean, you play in a sport where where you see that where guys you know come from poor beginnings as well. I mean, it's more often than not they they come from some unfortunate circumstances, and then through their athletic ability and the, and their will to to be better, they they they're on the NBA and they're playing. But, you know, for me, I, you know, St. Vincent de Paul, when I, you know, just thinking about it, every year I'd have to go to, we used to call it St. Vinny's, and we'd go and you'd get a plastic bag and for five bucks, there's $20 for me, my mum, and my two sisters, and for five bucks, we'd have to try and cram in as much as we could into a, just a, you know, just like a little shopping plastic bag, for, and that was our clothes for the whole year. So, you know, I will just cram all this stuff in and we only had $20 to spend on that. So, you know, I, that was my school clothes. That was my, you know, normal clothes. And, you know, I tell, tell you what now, I have more socks and more underwear, brand new socks and brand new <laughs> underwear than I ever had in my life because nothing is worse than having to wear used underwear and used socks. And um, uh, now I have the opportunity to have as much as I can. And, you know, the money at the start of my career 
it was, you know, I was thinking about money. I mean, like when I turned professional in, when I was 18 years old, I had no bank account and no dollars to my name. And then I, I turned professional and, you know, I'm like, I started earning some money and I'm, I'm playing the, you know, the PGA Tour, seven starts on the PGA Tour and I ended up earning 175000 seven starts. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is insane. I've never seen so much money in my life. Played the web.com and up earning about 330. I'm like, oh, this is going to be easy. And then, you know, from there, you know, I just really thought about, you know, all I thought about was the money. I'm like, this is just great. I've never seen so much money in my entire life. And, um, you know, I think back then I was thinking about it wrong. You know, I, you know, it, it's hard for someone to come from such, you know, poor background and it's easy to go, okay, just focus on winning. Just focus on, right. on getting the stuff now. Now that I know what I have to do to, to win tournaments, because winning takes care of everything. You win the tournament, you get a million plus right. dollars for the week. But back then it was so hard for me to see because I'm like, oh, even if I finish top 20, I'm earning, you know, 50 to to $100,000, you know, just inside the top 20. If I get in top 10, I'm earning over 100, 100 plus thousand dollars. And, you know, and all I was thinking about that was, was money and, and earning money. And once again, I was looking at it differently. If I'm looking at it now, I'm like, you just got to, you got to do the work. You got to try and get the process right. Do the little things. Put the puzzle together. If you win, you'll get a million plus dollars. But like now, I'm at, at a certain time where, in my career, it's so funny how it all unfolds that I don't think about money anymore. I all I think about is winning. <laughs> and uh, right. kind of back when I was a junior amateur, you know, you when you're a junior, you're playing for toasters, man. It's uh. You know, there's no money to it. Yeah. You're playing for, you know, things that they just kind of give out to you. And, you know, you're playing for the hardware. And that's all I wanted to do was win when I was a junior amateur. You know, it just, you know, that's all I wanted to do. And then when I turned professional, I'm like, oh, I've never seen so much money in the world. And this yeah. is fantastic. And now, yeah, yeah, we think about money. We think about it stuff now. But now I think more so about winning. Because I know that if I do the right things and I win now, then it takes care of everything. I know that if I win now and win a lot endorsement deals will come all this good all the good stuff that comes from winning yeah will come to you just because of that so looking back on it now and and coming from the poor place that i came from it's a blessing in a way because i don't want to go back there and that's why i want to work so hard because you know yeah. i know what it feels like to be in that situation where i'm where i was and i know what it is to have, you know have you know my hand in the honey jar and go you know i, I like this feeling a lot better and i want to stay here you know what i mean I do know what you mean. It's you, you mentioned something uh, about sort of the amount of socks and and underwear you have now, and <laughs> and uh, it brought me back to uh, you know my childhood, and I I just remember my first probably four pairs of basketball shoes were hand me downs from my older sisters. Uh, so I was wearing women's <laughs> women's basketball shoes till I was like thirteen years old. And now I almost take it for granted, and it's sad, but I almost take it for granted, you know, that I have this contract with a shoe company and I get as much gear as I want. My, my wife gets as much gear as she wants. My, my son yeah. wears like a different pair, you know, he's two years old, he wears a different pair of Nikes uh, to the park every day. And I, and I almost take that for <laughs> granted, but every now and then I think back to that and I'm like, no, I used to wear like two-year-old Converse you know, ripped up sneakers when I was 12. Mm -hmm. And it does mm -hmm. give you sort of a, a sense of perspective and also a sense of sort of, you know, where you've come. Um, yeah. I don't know if you still do this, but I've always wanted to ask a professional golfer this. So right. let's say you're not sort of in contention on Sunday, but you're still playing, you made the cut, 
And as you're sort of finishing up that round, those last few holes, you sort of know, uh, you know, what where you stand in terms of your place in that tournament. And you're saying, oh, yeah. you're tied for ninth or you're tied for eighth. And and you have a putt on 17 or a putt on 18, a six footer. As you go to stand over that putt, are you thinking to yourself, like, if I miss this, I'm costing myself $100,000? Because that's the difference sometimes. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, every now and then. Like, it's more so if you're, uh, if you're second place or something, or first or second place, it usually yeah. every now and then that creeps in because it like you go from a second place finish that could be six six hundred thousand to eight hundred thousand. You you new bow your take a couple of bogeys coming in. You go from earning six hundred thousand to eight hundred thousand dollars to earning maybe a hundred and fifty k. You know what I mean? So there's a right. there's a big difference there. But that's the biggest thing is that, yeah, I mean, if you look at it that way, I used to look at it that way. Trust me, I, I, there was so yeah. many times where I'm like, oh, man, i got to just par the last two holes. If I can par the last two holes, then, you know, I'll finish fourth and, you know, that'll be like $250,000 or something like that, you know? But yeah. instead of, like, we were talking about, like, thinking about, like, you know, you know all I think about is money. you got to just keep pushing forward, man. That's all, that's, all you, that's all you can do is just keep pushing forward. If, if you make a bogey, you're like, okay, I got to make a birdie on the last hole. You got to just somehow find and keep pushing forward because if you have that mentality of pushing forward, that'll take away from okay. I just got to par because if you if you start playing defense out there, especially in the golf course, you're gonna you're gonna mess up. If you say, if oh, you say I just got to par the last two holes, you're gonna mess up somehow. Instead of like okay, I've got a target out there. I'm gonna hit it at that target. Okay, now I'm on the fairway. I'm gonna hit it hit it this target. Okay, now I'm on the ground. I'm going to try and hold the putt. You know, it's just right. when you start going and when you when you start going. Okay, I'm just going to putt the last few holes. Then your target gets so big. It's the old adage, man, where you go aim small, miss small. And you yeah. know, when you when you're just trying to putt the last few holes, your target becomes the whole fairway, and the fairway becomes such a big target. Your your misses are going to be bigger, and you're gonna you're gonna screw up that way. So you, you always just got to try and push forward somehow. You're listening to the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. Jason, I'm sure the night before a big tournament or the week of a big tournament, like say the U.S. Open, uh, one thing is really important: getting a good night's sleep. I want to tell you about Casper mattress. You want to be comfortable, and Casper is a sleep brand that created one perfect mattress sold directly to consumers, eliminating commission-driven inflated prices. The mattress industry has forced consumers into paying notoriously high markups. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing that savings directly to the consumer. The Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. It combines springy latex and supportive memory phones for an award-winning sleep surface that's got just the right sink and just the right bounce. Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. In fact, it's now the most awarded mattress of the decade. Plus, its breathable design sleeps cool to help you regulate your temperature throughout the night. Mattresses can often cost well over $1,500, but Casper mattresses cost $500 for a twin-size mattress, $600 for an extra-large twin, $750 for a full, $850 for a queen, and if you're like me and you need a lot of space, $950 for a king. Buying a Casper mattress is completely risk-free. Casper offers free delivery and free returns with a 100-night home trial. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. You can get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting www 
www.casper.com slash JJ. Putting the JJ at the end is really important. This offer is only applicable to the purchase of a mattress. Again, it's www.casper.com slash JJ. And remember to use JJ. It's the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. We didn't get a chance to really dive into sort of the mental side of golf. Well, one of the great things about team sports, for me at least, and, and I hear athletes talk about this all the time, is sort of the camaraderie of the locker room. And for me, uh, whenever a season ends, and for guys that when their career ends, that's the thing sort of that you miss is sort of the camaraderie with your teammates and with coaches and mm. with the support staff. And I'm curious if there's sort of something in golf that is similar to that. And when your season ends in October, uh, what what is the thing that you miss the most? Uh, I miss the competition. Like we, like I like during the whole year, I'll I'll have a couple of weeks off, and then yeah, every now and then or a week off, and like I I sit there and I'm stressing out about golf and stressing, you know, when I'm at the at the tournament, I'm stressing and I'm like, oh, I've got to just try and win this tournament. It's so hard, and you know the amount of stress you get that fight or flight, you know, kind of in your body, and you feel like oh, you, you're in contention. You're like, oh, I just want to run away sometimes, and like, no, I'm already here. I've got to fight for it. And then all of a sudden, you're sitting there going, oh, okay, you know, you got you got a couple of weeks off, and you're like, you're bored almost. You're like, oh man, I need to get back out and and start playing again. You're like, it's like a love hate relationship really between competing in golf and and taking time off because you're like, when you're out there, you're like. I just can't wait to take some time off. And then when you're taking time off, you're like, oh, I can't wait to get back out and play again. Even though you, it's more stressful to go out and play, but you just miss it. You love the competition. That's what yeah. the rush you get is when you're in right. contention of a tournament, you have to hit the clutch shots. That's the stuff that you don't forget subconsciously. That's the stuff you don't forget in your mind that you go, I want that rush again. I want that feeling of like everything's got to be on me where I have to hit that clutch shot. I want that. And um, that's that competing, competitive nature that we have in golfers. And you got to, you, let's face it, you got to love those situations. If you don't like it, then you you're not going to play very good golf because you'll you'll get yourself in a situation where you just you'll be uncomfortable all the time. And I always say it's good to be uncomfortable. It's good to be in an uncomfortable state in golf because usually you're doing something that's great. Because you know when you're uncomfortable, usually you're around the you're around the lead or you're in contention or you you know. No, it's a great point. You're in the lead, and you got to be uncomfortable and be happy with being uncomfortable because you know it'll never be easy winning a golf tournament. Let's just put it that way: it's never easy to win a golf tournament. But as sooner or later, over time, as long as you keep putting yourself there, it, it doesn't get easier. But you just know the experience, you know the feelings, you know what to do. You, you have those experiences and those past results to kind of fall back on and know exactly what you need to do in those situations. Right. Doc Rivers, my coach in LA, always says mm-hmm. that like winning is hard. People I maybe just don't understand like winning is hard, and, yeah. and ultimately as athletes, we're judged by whether we win or lose. You're actually the first athlete that I've I've really ever heard say what you just said. In that, when you're in the season and you're in the moment and you're sort of in competition, it's almost nauseating, and you're like, man, I just yeah. I can't wait for a break or. You know, sometimes we're we're in January or February, we're the the middle of the season, and I'm like, man, I I, I can't wait for the off season just to take a break. And and as soon yeah. as the off season hits, it's like a drug. You just miss it. You miss it so yeah. much. The competition. Yeah. All right, one last question for you, Jason. I'm oh, curious in your mind, what is the best golf movie ever? I'm going to give you a list here: Tin Cup, oh. Happy Gilmore, 
Bagger Vance, which was awful. I hope you don't pick that. The Greatest Game <laughs> or my personal favorite, Caddyshack. I, you know what? I have good memories of, of Happy Gilmore. That's when I watched it. You know, we sat down and watched Happy Gilmore as a family when my dad was still around. So that's on my list as number one. Uh, the greatest game ever played. Like, so this is a funny one. Every time, you know, when he hands a dollar, you know, where they're giving the money to Francis we met and they're like, oh, no, give it to Eddie for, you know, because he didn't have money to pay him or whatever it was. And right. he couldn't take it because he was an avatar. Every time, like when they, he pans around, and he's like, "Give it to Eddie, give it to Eddie." He's hand, handing the hat around, and then he sees his dad because he had that relationship <laughs> with his dad, where his, his dad right. didn't think golf was like wasn't a man thing to do. He want, he needed to go out and, and earn a living, you know, you know, working hard. And when his dad was holding up the money, man, every time I watched that, I cried. Man, I literally just tears start running down my face because. No, I, I for some reason I feel like in a way that could be my dad. You know what I mean? It's just, mm. uh, yeah, it gives me all because I mean, I mean, obviously when I was growing up, I didn't have the, I didn't have a dad. You know, just you know, I had you know until he was you know eleven and until I was eleven and a half, twelve, I, I lost my dad. And from there, you know, I watch, you know, I really didn't have a dad other than you know Cole kind of stepped in a little bit as a sorry dad, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I cry every single time, but you know, my favorite all time is Happy Gilmore. Happy Gilmore, man, that's my favorite all time. Obviously, good memories, but it's just <laughs> you know, just funny. I, I I love it. It's all on the hips. It's all on the hips. <laughs> it's all uh, in the hips, baby. <laughs> it's all in the hips. All right, Jason, uh, thank you so much. And you know, I, I didn't want a fanboy at the beginning, but you are one of my favorite athletes. I have always appreciated how you've carried yourself. Uh, both when you win and when you lose. And I hope that this weekend ends with Jason Day uh, winning the U.S. Open. I hope so. Hey, man, just real quick. I remember when I used to live in Texas, I remember you know, watching. I lived in Orlando for a bit, so too. So I remember watching you in Orlando play. Um, I'm, I'm really pumped for thing, how you've gone about your career. And now you're in L.A. and, and you're playing well. And um, it's good to see, buddy. Um, always fun to see you play. And, um, you know, once again, thanks again for having me on the on the show. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Thanks. You're listening to the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. All right, I'm back. Jason, unfortunately, had to go prepare for the U.S. Open. So this week's four on four, I'm doing alone. And as luck would have it, this week's four on four is sponsored by SoFi. The NBA draft is coming up. This week's four on four is draft day memories. My first draft day memory was a first for me. It actually happened the day before the draft. I had accumulated a little bit of money just from random sort of endorsements between graduating from Duke and the week before the draft. So there was like a six-week stretch, and I had saved up enough money to buy my first watch. I mentioned my love of watches earlier on the show. My very first watch I bought the day before the draft, it was a Rolex Datejust. I wore it on draft night. It was a huge deal for me. Unfortunately, in 2011, during the NBA lockout, I traded that watch. I have no idea why, possibly out of boredom. I wish I still had that watch. I don't own it anymore. It actually annoys me. I actually tracked down the guy I sold the watch to a couple years ago, and I tried to find out who he had sold the watch to, and he wouldn't give me the info. So I'm still working. If you're out there and you listen to this podcast and you have a Rolex Datejust dated 2006 and my name is on the warranty card, will you please get in contact with me? (laughs) My second memory 
of draft day actually is funny because I, I got booed at the garden and in the, in the show leading up to the sort of David Stern going on for the number one pick and the pre-show sort of uh, talking points, they, every time they mentioned my name on ESPN, the crowd at MSG would boo. Lots of Duke love out there, I can tell. Thank you for that. Third memory of the draft day was absolutely getting to share that moment with my family. That's probably my greatest memory of draft day is just having my parents there, all of my siblings at the table with me in Madison Square Garden. One little hiccup, though, the NBA only allowed a certain amount of people at your table. Unfortunately for me, I have a very large family. I think we were allowed six people at the table, including myself. So my little sister, kind of because she was the youngest, she got left out. <laughs> she didn't get to sit at the table with us. She was like, eh, like two rows up uh, back in the stands at MSG. It still really bothers me to this day that she didn't get to sit down there with me. Fourth memory of draft day was actually getting your name called. It's something that every athlete dreams of growing up. It's something that every eight-year-old who plays t-ball or rec league basketball or flag football dreams of, hearing your name called by the commissioner. There really is no feeling. It's almost surreal. It's almost like, I cannot believe this is happening. You hug your family. I think I hugged my agents. And then I, I walk up on stage and shake David Stern's hand, put my Orlando Magic hat on. That moment is a moment that I will never forget. And, and the fact, again, that I got to share that moment with my family and the people that mattered most to me will make that day a very special day. All right, that's this week's Four on Four, sponsored by SoFi. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. I'd like to thank today's guest, Jason Day. I'd also like to thank this week's Four on Four sponsor, SoFi. Remember to subscribe and listen to new and archived episodes wherever you listen to the podcast. Please tweet me at JJ Reddick for any questions and comments. I'd also like to thank our sponsors, SeatGeek, Wix.com, and Casper Mattress. Be sure to support them the way they support us. All right, I'll talk to you guys next week. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice.